Today is Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. I want to encourage you to turn there and stand as we read God's Word. It says, Holy Word is inspired, authoritative, inspired. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good and acceptable and perfect ways, your purposes, your will, your kingdom. We thank you for being able to be not only a part of it, but being asked, commanded, exhorted to seek it, to understand it, to live for your glory. And so I pray for that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, chances are you've heard someone say at one time or another that God wanted them to do and blank, and you can fill in the blank. And perhaps you thought that that was a way of them saying that they were confident that God would be pleased with what they were doing, or that they were confident that that was God's purpose and will for them. But then maybe you had a question. Is it really possible to know that? How can a person say that with certainty? Well, our passage today tells us that we can discern the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what we want to do. But there's a requirement there in that passage, and that is we have to have our minds renewed. So it is possible to know God's will, and maybe the first thing we need to ask is, what does Paul mean by God's will? Are we supposed to know it down to the level of even our personal decisions? Or are we just able to know God's will on a more general level? Well, before we look at that question, don't forget what we've just read. Paul says that we become wise by the renewing of our minds. Before we even possibly can discern God's will on any level, whether it's all the way down to the practical decision-making up to the general purposes of God, a change has to take place in you. And that change is the renewing of your mind that comes about by the work of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? That renewing of your mind was the first revelation of God's will, actually. You may know, may have even memorized John 1.12, which reads, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But it's a shame that we only memorize verse 12. Because there's a comma at the end of that verse. It's not a whole sentence. If you just memorized John 1.12, you've memorized half a sentence. Verse 13 completes the thought in which John says, Who were born, and if we listen carefully or read carefully, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so the fact that you are a redeemed believer was not due to blood, which refers to your genetics or your parentage, It wasn't due to the will of the flesh, which would be what you want or desire, nor due to the will of man, which refers to your intellectual choice, 
but due to the will of God. So when God drew you to himself, he revealed a part of his will to you by working an initial miraculous transformation of your heart and mind, gifting you with faith by his grace. So from the very beginning of your spiritual life, God has been revealing himself to you. And that transformation is the start of his work. He continues to sanctify you. And when the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart, opened your eyes, you became able to hear the master's voice, to be able to see truth, to understand his principles. And as we saw last week with regard to chapter 11, those who are still dead in sin, which refers to those who are not yet renewed in their mind, they are blinded, hardened, and their ears are closed. And the good news is that's no longer true of you, right? If you follow God, if you truly are his, you're now able to see, you're, you're able to hear what God says to you through Christ and his word. Your heart is soft. But I've, I've said many times before, maturity in Christ does not happen by osmosis. Right? You can't have your Bible within five feet of reach and figure that somehow you're going to be saturated with godly principles by it being in your room or on your table. And that leads me to this other way that God reveals his will to us, namely through his word, both the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and the written word, the Bible, as we actively engage those new senses. So the second verse of our morning's passage says that we must not be conformed to the world. And that should lead us to ask, well, to what then should we be conformed? And you may remember back in Romans 8, verse 29, where we read, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, that's the same word, to the image of his Son. So we are to be conformed to Christ. And Paul helps us even more in Philippians 3, 8, when he writes, Behold, or indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And instead of the phrase becoming like him in his death there, right near the end of that Philippians passage, the New King James reads being conformed to his death because the word in Greek is the same as in those other passages we've been reading. And that's helpful because Paul is saying that he is willing to give up anything and everything of this world in order to know Christ. But how does he know Christ? Well, Paul says by being conformed to Christ's death. And what does that mean? Well, just as Jesus died as a result of giving himself up and following the Father's will in all things, so when you do the same thing, sacrificing your own interests, when you live as you see Jesus lived, there's something about that process of dying to yourself that helps you understand Jesus. 
And that ties perfectly in with verse 1 of our morning's passage, where Paul talks about making our lives a sacrifice to God. So the important news of Philippians 3 is that not only are you giving to God what he, what Paul calls in Romans 12, your spiritual worship. It's a form of worship when you sacrifice of yourself. But what we learn from Philippians 3 is that there's something really beneficial that you receive in that process of being sacrificial. And that is you actually become conformed to Christ's death and thus come to know and understand him better. And because you know Jesus, you can better know God's will. That's how that process works. So we can learn about God's will through the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and we can also know it through the written word. Before I talk about that, let me say something about this concept of discernment. In the New Testament, the Greek word that's translated discern is diakrino, which means to make a distinction. So this idea of discernment is the process of making a distinction between things, between truth and error. It's, it's a type of black and white thinking, if you will. And if you're going to make distinctions between things, between what is good and what is bad, in order to know God's will, you need a tool that's reliable. And your single best tool for distinguishing truth from error is the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so if you know God's word, then you have the confidence that you are thoroughly equipped for every good work, including making right discerning decisions. I'll give you an example. When you approach the decision to take a specific job, do you make your choice in the light of Scripture? Do you ask, will this job allow me to support my family? The Bible says you are responsible to support your family and work hard for the glory of God. But support, as the Bible goes on to explain, is more than just financial. It's even more importantly spiritual. So will this job allow you the time to train your children and cultivate your relationship with your wife and with your family. Well, the Bible says to train a child in the way that he should go. It also says not to neglect your wife. And there are many more principles, but you need to search for them. You would discover quickly how the Bible provides you with important criteria to weigh decisions and know God's will. Will the, will the job tempt you to sin? The Bible says flee from evil, right? The list of principles is actually quite lengthy. And the majority of what might seem like difficult choices often can be answered clearly in Scripture. And when we dwell in the knowledge of God's word, God has promised us peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God dwell richly in your hearts or rule in your hearts. How? By letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So if you want to avoid the anxiety that comes from a lack of purpose and direction and meaning as you wonder, what, what does God want from me? Then become knowledgeable in God's word. Now suppose you've searched his word, you still have questions. 
Well, perhaps most important, you must desire wisdom. You must desire the renewing of your mind that is talked about by Paul in Romans 12. Proverbs 2 says, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as as like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So if you don't have a desire to be discerning, and, and you can just ask yourself the question right now, do I really want to discern God's will? Do I want to know the truth? Or do I just, you know, I'm pretty content with who I am and what I'm doing right now. The desire for discernment is born out of humility. Why is that? Because it is humility that enables you to admit your own potential for self-deception. To admit that addiction to the world and being content with my life right now because of what the world is offering me is not a healthy perspective. Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So Solomon in Proverbs says, cry out or raise your voice to God for understanding. Ask for it. Plead for it. If you knew that there was a hidden treasure buried somewhere on your property, wouldn't you start digging? It wasn't that long ago we were at the family picnic and everything came to a halt. Remember up at Elk Grove, those of you who were there because someone had lost a, a ring? And the Stevens family actually had a metal detector with them. And so it's everybody's lined up right in a row, all spaced together. And there's Laura with the metal detector in front. We're looking for this ring in the grass. Well, if you knew hidden treasure buried on your property, you would start digging. And discernment is a treasure, a greater treasure than that. James 4 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. We do not want that to be our attitude. We want wisdom. We want Holy Spirit-filled discernment. And as Proverbs 15 says, the fear of the Lord, which is the reverence of everything that God is in relationship to us, that fear is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. So here's the point. When God's will is not still fully clear. Read God's word. You know that your heart is deceptive. You know how easy it is for for you to want to gloss over and, and superimpose your thoughts, your desires upon what God's principles are, just to be blind even sometimes to what clearly is on the pages of the scriptures. Humbly seek discernment and insight as if it is a hidden treasure. And therefore, it should be a part of your regular prayer. When Solomon became king after the death of his father, the Lord appeared 
to him in a dream and said, ask what you wish and I'll give it to you. And he could have requested anything. He could have asked for material riches or power and influence, victory over his enemies, whatever, whatever he desired. That was kind of how it was laid up for him. And instead, Solomon asked for discernment. Give your servant, he said, an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. Is that what you would have prayed? Scripture says that that was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And he commends Solomon because his request reflected a desire for God's glory rather than his own gain. And that's really, honestly, that's really why you want discernment. You see, if if what you want is discernment just to, to make your life better from the standpoint of I want to make good choices that kind of promote my own material wealth or my own success in one thing or another. That's not the right reason for discernment. The reason for discernment is to say, you know what? I know there is a better and higher way. I know that God's kingdom is what is really relevant and important in my life and in this world. And so I need discernment so that I can understand what is true. And I can get past my deceptive heart. And so what we begin to see is that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not an easy task. It's not just about saying that God renewed my mind by giving me faith and I became a Christian. All of a sudden I have discernment. No, this idea of dying to myself, of in humility praying, pleading for discernment, of needing to apply God's word to all situations, that is why in Romans 12 it is called a living sacrifice. Sacrifice typically indicates pain or the giving up of something. And with regard to the spiritual worship that Paul is describing, and it's worship because we're putting God's glory first, it is the painful giving up of our own pride and even the idolatries of our heart. It is the constant reorienting of our own purposes to be in line with what God is doing. Well, what if you're there to that point? And yet, it still is unclear. Even after you're praying, even after you're seeking discernment, what do you do next? Well, even as we await greater understanding, we should continue to examine everything. Examine all things, including your decisions carefully. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Did you know that the Thessalonians actually had a problem in that regard? They were eager to believe whatever was preached in the name of Christ. And they struggled with discernment. And Paul describes them as children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by crafty and deceitful scheming. And he contrasted them to the Bereans whom in Acts were said to be more noble-minded Luke says this, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily. See that? Examine them daily to see whether these things were so. And that's important because this idea of examination is not just for the most important things that happen every few months when I need to make that really important discerning thought about what I'm doing with my family or what we're 
the job or whatever it is. It's daily examining and putting my thoughts and my heart against what God's word says. And Paul said to the Thessalonians, follow the example of the Bereans. Test all things and hold fast to what is good. Romans 12.9 says the same type of thing when he says, abhor, just a little bit after our passage, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. He almost said the exact same thing to Timothy when he says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. So I've talked about this desire to be discerning, but the truth is that discernment isn't really an option. You may have thought I was just exhorting you to examine yourselves and and say, is that really a desire of my heart? And maybe you're thinking that I was exhorting you to do something that would work better in your life, but God expects you to be a workman who is not ashamed to examine daily your life, your decisions, your thought processes, what the world is telling you, to divide truth from error and then follow that truth. What good is it to call yourself a Christian and not love truth? And what good is it to know the truth and then fail to follow it? That's why James wrote, prove yourself. That's what he said. Prove yourselves doers of the word, not just merely hearers who delude themselves. That's important, isn't it? We don't just want to hear, have it come in one side and out the other, as my mom used to say to me. Don't just hear it, but actually prove that you are a doer of the word. Because otherwise you're deluding yourself. And you've been entrusted with this truth. You've been called by God. You've been given his word. You've been told to go out and preach the good news, to be a light on the hill, a living letter, a fragrant aroma of life to the world. And God commands you, as Paul tells Timothy, to guard that truth. And that word, guard, refers to this militant, defensive, protective stance against anything that might undermine the truth or do violence to it in any way. And so, really, what that picture is asking you to do is to think of yourself like a soldier who's clothed in armor, wielding a sword. What are you protecting? The truth. That's why... Paul told the Thessalonians, hold fast. That same thought is, you know, clinging to something, not letting it go with a death grip. In the movie Castaway, which is now old enough that a lot of you haven't seen it, in that movie, Tom Hanks painstakingly builds a raft to escape from an island where he was marooned during a, a plane crash, and it takes him months to find the right time to leave the island due to weather and waves and other factors, but he finally manages, when near death, to escape the island. And at one point, while floating on the open sea, a volleyball in which a painted face is there. It's really the bloody mark of his handprint, right? But it kind of looks like a face. He had come to call what? Wilson. Okay, a lot of you know, remember that movie. Wilson gets knocked off the raft... It starts floating away. And probably a very poignant scene, 
most poignant scene in the movie, is that he panics, he jumps off the raft and tries to swim after Wilson, and he quickly realizes that he's got to make a choice, right? It's either this bobbing volleyball that's getting further and further out, or life in the raft, because they're moving in opposite directions. Well, when he makes it back to the raft, there's that moment when, after climbing onto it and exhausted, he hugs it for dear life. Because he realizes that the raft was essential to his survival, even at the cost of what he desired, namely Wilson. And that is what is meant by the phrase, hold fast. It's clinging to that which is ensuring your survival as if your life depend upon it, even being willing to let go of those things that are floating away or should be floating away that the world would have distract you, the idols of your heart. And in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul told believers that they proved their salvation even by holding fast to the gospel he had delivered. And those who failed to hold fast, Paul said, believed in vain. So, so please hear this. Discernment is not just an intellectual exercise. It is not something that's a checklist that maybe you've kind of distilled from today uh, several steps to go through and you check them all off when it came to something that you're thinking through and trying to discern. It's not going to be based upon your interest level and motivation. This is life and death. You must cultivate a love for truth. You must guard the truth like a soldier. You must offer your lives daily as a living sacrifice to God, and you must hold fast to that which is good and true while you abhor that which is evil, because that is how we are proving ourselves doers of the word, lovers of God. So even then, the reasonable service of self-sacrifice and conformity to Christ that Paul describes in Romans 12 is not yet at an end. Just as a help to you when you are still thinking through this, and, and I'm assuming that, that we've passed now to a point where you are that soldier. You are the one crying out for wisdom, examining your, your thoughts daily. When you have made, let's say, a choice or a decision, evaluate whether that Decision is profitable. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul writes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And What determines whether something is helpful or profitable? Well, based upon what we've been learning so far, it must be the degree to which that decision, that action will bring glory to God by serving him, serving others, or will help make us more discerning and godly people. In Philippians 2.3, Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So profitability, helpfulness, and some of our decision-making is the degree to which we are able to continue to remain others-oriented, desiring the edification of others, the betterment of others. 
So if that all is God's admonition to us, then we have to ask ourselves, why, why am I desiring, maybe, maybe why am I fighting in this decision-making process, this thought process for a particular thing or choice? Is it selfish ambition? Is it pride? Is it the reputation I have in others or how, what they think of me? What, what percentage of your daily thoughts are based upon those types of things? factors. Psalm 37 4 says where your delight should be it should be in the Lord, right? And he will give you the desires of your heart. So are you in right relationship with God? Are you focused on delighting in him? Another part of determining profitability is also counting the cost. Jesus once told the crowd, Luke 14, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it, otherwise when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, he was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation, asks for terms of peace. Well... What is the cost of the things that you're contemplating, that you're trying to discern? Again, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier and, and thinking about some of the practical things that you face. Maybe you're trying to decide to purchase something. Well, will you still be able to give to ministry, save for the future, pay your bills? If you take a job, do you possess the skills that are necessary to do a good work, do excellent work, give God glory in the process and completion of what's asked of you? Do you possess the time to maintain the right priorities of God, spouse, children, and then work? Count the cost. Those all have a cost. Let's say you've desired wisdom. You've prayed for discernment. You've tested all things. You've looked in the Bible for direction. You've emptied yourself of your own desires and priorities. You're delighting in the Lord. You're others-oriented. You've asked whether this will benefit the Lord and others. You've evaluated the cost. You've started every day with the attitude of Romans 12, desiring to have your mind conformed to Christ and the Word. You've prayed for direction. You've desired that He would be blessed by the sacrifice of yourself, and this would be your worship of him, one last check, one last check, is to examine your life and the circumstances around you. How has God providentially acted in your life to this point, and is what you are contemplating consistent with his prior work? When Israel crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, God gave Joshua the following instructions, according to Joshua 4. He said, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe, a man, command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down the place where you lodged tonight. And those stones were to serve as a sign to the Israelites. And he explained that when their children asked in the time to come, what, what are these? you'll tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be the people, for the people of Israel, a memorial forever. 
a memorial, a reminder of the mighty act that God did to save his people. On many other occasions, the people in Scripture, they would build altars or, or set up standing stones as a reminder of some significant encounter with God. Why? Because those reminded the people of God's work. It provided a very visible marker of God's purposeful leading and direction and helped them kind of see this map that had led to where we are today. What was God intending? The question for you is, are there standing stones? Are there markers, memorials in your life where you've been clearly led by God in times past? Memorials upon which you could look back and see, well, God has faithfully been directing me in this direction to this point. He's been blessing me. And as I've made decisions consistent with his kingdom purposes in my life and my family, we've continued to be blessed. But now I want to go here. You know, I want to go backwards or I want to do this. Why? Is that consistent with what God has done in his providence? Where does God's work in your life seem to be leading? What talents and gifts has God blessed you with that he wants you to use? And I started with the question, can we know God's will? And our passage implies we can. And we certainly looked at a lot of things that we can do to try to discern his will, kind of narrow down, if you will, what he desires for us. Paul, when he was trying to make a decision whether or not to go on a second missionary journey, did everything that we've talked about. He became convinced that he and Silas and Timothy were to go to preach the gospel to Asia. And at one point, he, Silas, and Timothy were prevented from entering Asia. Did that mean that they had failed in the discernment process and that God had rejected their decision? No, not entirely. God modified some of their conclusions. But in the meantime, what was Paul doing? Having gone through the various steps that we've talked about this morning, he stepped out of faith, trusting that if he had misread the situation, that God would direct his path. And that's the same for you. So many of us get crippled in that final moment. Here we've gone through the process of trying to be discerning, but it's a big choice or it's a big thought in our life, and we're just paralyzed by fear. Have we thought through the right things? Well, to the degree to which we have let God's word saturate us and all the things that we've talked about today, that's the point that we needed, that point to just step forward in faith, trusting that Lord, the Lord will correct us if we've misunderstood and misread the situation. Move forward. Keep praying, trust the Lord. And I do want to add a final comment. The Bible speaks of a revealed will of God and a hidden will of God. And the reason there is a hidden will of God is that it's hidden. God has not revealed everything. Some things do remain outside of our understanding. And if you've come to a conviction regarding a decision, keep praying that your choice is in conformity with both God's revealed, which is what you've been working with, and his hidden will, because sometimes your decision may conflict with God's hidden purposes, just as it did with Paul. God had a desire for him to move into Macedonia. That's where the Philippian church ultimately 
arises. And he will let you know, just like he let Paul know, to go in a slightly different direction. But remember that God's will will be done. And to understand and believe that God did, in fact, know you and chose you from eternity, that he appointed good works for you to do, and that it is his delight to help you discover what those are, it gives you an enormous sense of purpose and hope. Friends, God does not want you to be paralyzed by anxiety and indecision and fear. He has good works for you that he's appointed for you before the foundation of the world. And he wants you to cry out for wisdom. He wants you to seek counsel and multiple counselors. He wants you to want to please him and to live for his glory. And he delights in that. He will make your path clear. Isaiah said, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. So his purpose will come to be. But oh, how wonderful it is to be walking in line with him and to live in purpose with discernment and with hope. And our morning's passage tells us that the path will sometimes move in difficult ways. It's a sacrifice, as I've said. But know that not only is this your spiritual worship, as Romans 12:1 says, but that it also conforms you to Christ's death, giving you the privilege of understanding God even better. Aim to please God. Delight in him if you will do these things and seek to discern his will as we've examined today. I do guarantee you, God will direct your path. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a light into our path. Thank you for the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, the opportunity to live like him, to not live for our own selves, but always what we see you doing. Thank you, Lord, for your written word that is our reliable, trustworthy tool to discern truth from error and divide falsehood. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that comes within the church of multiple counselors. Thank you, Lord, for just the fact that you will answer our prayer for wisdom and discernment, that you delight in guiding us, Lord, that your will will be done, even if we have misunderstood some of the things that that you would have of us because we, we don't know your hidden will, yet, Lord, you have appointed these things for us. You walk alongside of us. But, Lord, all in all of this is, again, the reminder that this is not an option. Father, you've not said to us, well, when you're ready, if you want to, If you want your life to be better as you still hold on to the idols of your flesh, then then you can maybe start thinking about following me. Lord, you've, you've told us to guard the truth, to abhor what is evil, to hold fast to what is good. You've told us to be doers, provers of the fact that we love your word. So Lord, I pray that that would be evident in our life today. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. 
Amen.